especially somebody like Gaddafi today, who, um, who knows what he was trying to say. But anyway, um, um, Benjamin Netanyahu tomorrow, the Prime Minister of Israel, is going to be addressing the General Assembly. It will be interesting to hear what he has to say. Some of the latest news coming out of Israel, and I'd like to update you once in a great while, and we haven't really talked about it for a while. Of course, uh, the big question is, and one of the things is we're going to be closing the year 2009 here in a couple months. In about three months, we'll be looking at a new year. And uh, we do a prophecy update on New Year's Eve. But uh, before we get there, I think that there are still some things that we need to look at and watch. And and that is um, what it is that uh, the world is planning on doing, particularly with the United States and some of the Security Council nations concerning Iran and, and Iran's ambition t- for nuclear weapons. Interesting, last week uh, a report came out uh, by um, the news agencies um, that all of them pretty much reported it last Thursday um, that a secret report from United Nations nuclear watchdog warns that Iran has the ability to make a nuclear bomb and is developing a missile system to carry it an assessment that could call into question the Obama administration's claim on Thursday that the biggest threat from Iran comes from its short and medium-range missiles. So just hours after President Obama and Defense Secretary Robert Gates announced that they were shelving plans for a missile defense shield in Eastern Europe because of Iran's shift in strategy, the Associated Press revealed details of the secret report by the International Atomic Energy Agency It says Iran has sufficient information to build a bomb. The report, which says Iran is likely to overcome problems on developing a delivery system, appears to be the so-called secret annex on Iran's nuclear program that Washington has said is being withheld by the IAEA's chief. And the article goes on to talk about some of the intelligent reports and things like that. Um, One of the things that came out from the Jerusalem Post last week as well is that um, Israel, um, as this is dated on September 16th, will be compelled to attack Iran's nuclear facility if Western powers do not impose serious sanctions against Tehran by the end of 2009, former Deputy Defense Minister said on Wednesday. We cannot live under the shadow of an Iran with nuclear weapons, he was quoted in telling uh, Reuters in an interview on the visit to the U.K., By the end of the year, if there's no agreement on crippling sanctions aimed at the regime, we will have no choice. And this is not an official government um, uh, spokesperson here. This is one who used to be a former deputy defense minister and worked for the Mossad. And many of them that are retired out of the government are saying that um, time is running out for Israel to have to do something. Now, the interesting thing is this, is that the reason that we're talking about it, of course, is... Um, that we look at the prophetic events that the scripture talks about, a confederation of nations led by Iran that will come against Israel in the last days, and God will defend Israel. And so Ezekiel 38 and 39, we do see the pieces of the puzzle coming together. Whether the current events that we're seeing is going to lead to that war, we don't know. Um, Only time will tell. But tensions are getting um, increased there in the Middle East. Time is running out. Uh, of course, Ahmadinejad, the president of Iran, uh, has said that Israel should be wiped off the face of the map and that Holocaust never happened. Um, and so there is very much concern. But I think Benjamin Netanyahu, he's a very interesting man, the prime minister. And uh, he said 
that um, the world cannot afford, and he's so true in this, to have the world leader in sponsoring terrorism, having nuclear weapons, and then the terrorists having that umbrella in which they can go and um, receive support from. And it would be a very dangerous thing. So, you know, the Lord said that we are to watch and uh, we are to be wise in the days in which we're living. So I, I would encourage all of us to continue to watch. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu will address the General Assembly, what is being said, that it will be intense. And um, I'm sure what he's going to say, that Israel has the right to defend herself. Um, and so uh, we'll see what happens. It is also being said that the United States and Russia are coming close to agreement on uh, what to do about Iran's um, nuclear um, ambitions and building, and, and it'll be interesting to see what it is they come up with, whether they will be uh, sanctions or whether there'll be you know anything that will be effective and uh, sending a message at least to Tehran or trying to stop what it is that they're doing. So um, keep an eye on it. I'll update you on things, but um, things are coming down. 2010 may be an interesting year where we see um, some very, um, very, uh, you know, uh, crossroads that are going to come to Israel making decisions in the United States as well as the Western world on what to do with Iran. So just wanted to pass that information on. And Father, we do ask that tonight that as we see, you told us um, that we are to watch all throughout the New Testament, be wise and discerning the days in which we're living. Lord, we don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know that you're in control, and we know that we're to occupy till you come. And Lord, we want to be continue being ones to be in your word, to growing in your love, to be ones that um, we are um, in the knowledge and discernment and the wisdom of the things of the kingdom and what your truth has declared. I pray that tonight as we look at Deuteronomy, these chapters um, that are recorded for us, that we would make application, and Lord, that we would apply it um, in our hearts as it's worked out in our lives. And so, Lord, we thank you that we're here again. And so open our ears, uh, help us be attentive to the things that you want to teach us and show us tonight. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As we read in chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Verse 3, Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. And of course, as we're in this section of the book of Deuteronomy, we're in this portion that, um, in this time in their history where Israel is poised on the east side of the Jordan River. It's a new generation that's getting ready to cross the Jordan River into the promised land, and they're going to uh, take the land, and um, they're going to possess the land, just as God promised that he would drive out those inhabitants. And so they're ready physically to go in, but spiritually they're not. And so Deuteronomy is the reading of the law to this new generation. They need it, an official reading of the law, so they can be established in the law. As we saw that in the first five chapters of Deuteronomy, what Moses does is he recounts their history. This is what has taken place 
here in, um, in the wilderness. This is what took place with your fathers. And so you came out of Egypt, your fathers. They came to the mountain of God, Mount Sinai. And there God spoke to his people. He uh, would make a covenant with them. He gave them the law. Uh, it was a very intense time. As we saw, the people were afraid of God's presence. As we looked at the end of chapter 5, as the mountain shook and, and there was smoke that came from Mount Sinai, there was thunders, there was lightnings, and there was the voice of God that was heard. And the people trembled. He's recounting what we read in Exodus chapters 19 and 20. And so the people said, this is too much. Moses, you go up on the mountain. So Moses went up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. He would receive the law of God. And also during that time, he would receive the instructions of the tabernacle. And so there God told them to move from Mount Sinai after the construction of the tabernacle, brought them up to the border of the promised land. And there the people refused to go into the promised land. So that generation died out there in the wilderness. Here's a new generation poised to go in. And so what Moses is saying is this, is that God made a covenant with your fathers, but it wasn't just for them, it's for you and for your sons and for your grandsons, for every generation. And it is a covenant that I've made with you, as we're going to see that he has said over and over again, and will continue to say, that you're a special people to me. I chose you. I brought you out of Egypt as my people. I'm going to keep my covenant that I made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So I'm going to give you this land. And because that I am truly in the Lord, and you have seen my signs and my wonders. Go ask the other nations. Has the gods that they worship, which are false gods, have they seen anything of their gods like what you have seen? The mighty hand that I brought you out of Egypt. That is, I brought the plagues upon the Egyptians. And I brought you out with a mighty hand. And you saw the miracles and the wonders. You can ask them. None of their gods have done that. And so what I have done with you was going to be a testimony to the other nations that he, truly that he was the Lord. And so we see that as he is recounting their history, what they've been through, the, the rebellion of their fathers, now he is saying because this covenant has been made, because the Lord's going to give you the promised land, what you are to do is you are to keep his commandments, his statutes. You're to walk in his ways. And so one of the themes that we do see in the book of Deuteronomy that's emphasized over and over again is what? Is obedience. And he says here that you, that you may fear the Lord. Now, when they were at Mount uh, Sinai, they feared the Lord. I mean, they trembled. They were terrified. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that even Moses was terrified when he went up on the mountain. It was an awesome sight. And what God was demonstrating to them that, that God was, that he was truly, that he was all-powerful, that he is awesome, and, and um, that truly that he is the Lord. And they would see that. They would see the awesomeness of God. And truly he is all-powerful, all-knowing. And he is truly the Lord. And, and that was the fear of the Lord. Now, as we go through the scriptures, you and I are told that we are to have the fear of the Lord. And it's not quite the same way as they trembled there at Mount Sinai. Because what did Hebrews chapter 12 tell us? We don't come to Mount Sinai. What he was telling those, those believers, that Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. You don't come to Mount Sinai, now you come to Mount Zion. And grace and truth has been declared to you and I. And we come to the Father through Jesus Christ, 
who has made provision for us to enter into the Holy of Holies, Hebrews chapter 10, because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we are still to fear the Lord. And what that means is that we are to have a healthy reverence of the Lord. You see, the Lord that we worship, our Lord who died for us, He's all-powerful and all-knowing. He is going to come and judge the nations. He is going to come and establish his kingdoms. That's why we are being encouraged, you know, in the days in which we're living, to be wise, to be watching. Because the Lord, I believe, is going to come very soon and establish his kingdom. And he's going to be sitting on the throne. So as Christians, we have a healthy reverence and respect for our Lord, that he is the Lord, that he is our salvation. He is our hope, isn't he? And so they were to fear the Lord, and here we see that they were to follow after him, and he will bring you in, as verse 3 says, to a land flowing with milk and honey. And again, as we've talked about, the Lord desires for us to live that abundant life, and the key to living that abundant life is to walk in obedience. If you walk in sin, it's going to tangle you up, right? It's going to ensnare you. It's going to entangle you. Hebrews chapter 12, that's why it says that the race that is set before us, that we are to lay aside what? Every weight and every sin that entangles us. And so we see it illustrated in the book of Judges when Samson was one that was used of the Lord. But what happened to Samson? He was playing around with sin. And we don't have time to go into it tonight, but as he's playing around with sin there, it ends up that Samson ends up being all bound up and his eyes plucked out. And so that's what happens to the individual who is one that is involved in sin. It will just hurt you. It will bring bondage to you. It will enslave you. And it is the Lord that says, I brought you out of that. I freed you from that. You're no longer slaves in Egypt. But I'm bringing you into a land flowing with milk and honey. For you and I, we've left Egypt. Because Egypt is a picture of the world. And we're no longer enslaved to the world. We're no longer need to be enslaved to sin. But to be free from that. And to live that life abundantly. That life of blessing and peace and, and joy. And, and just the Lord really being real. And, and flowing from our lives. Uh, the things of the Lord. And working in our hearts. And just just having real purpose in life, that abundant life that he has for you and for me. So verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so we see here that we are told that, and they are told that they are to walk in obedience, but then you should love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the great Shema. Of course, Shema means to hear. And it would be in Matthew's gospel, then Matthew chapter 22, that that scribe would come to Jesus and say, you know, what's the greatest commandment? As that scribe asked Jesus that. And Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second is like it, that is, you are to love your neighbor as yourself, quoting from Leviticus chapter 19. And so in that sums up all the law and the prophets is what Jesus said in those two commandments. Paul, he would write in the book of Romans that you can sum up the law in one word, and that is love. Now, why is that? One thing that I hope that we don't miss going through the book of Deuteronomy, because we're going to see it spelled out to us again, 
that you're to walk in obedience, keep my commandments, keep my statutes. You can go through this and you can say, yes, I get it, I understand that. We're called to holiness, we're called to obedience, but here's the thing, here's the key, that love and obedience go together. And don't forget that. Because as you have a love for the Lord, loving the Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then you're going to have a desire to walk in obedience, aren't you? And as Proverbs says, out of the heart flows the issues of life. And so as you love the Lord, you're going to want to walk in obedience. And so that's one of the things that we need to always be doing is presenting our hearts to the Lord, giving our hearts to the Lord, knowing Him more is the most important thing in our lives. As we know Him more, what Jesus has done for us, His love demonstrated for us, how He has saved us and forgiven us, and, and, and the goodness of the Lord and the faithfulness of the Lord. As you know Him more, you can't help but love Him more. And it's out of that love that you're going to walk in holiness and you're going to walk in that obedience. So love and obedience go together. Don't separate the two. Because I can hear a lot about obedience and walking in obedience, but I don't hear anything about the love of the Lord or loving Him. So the greatest commandment, the law can be summed up, as Paul says, in one word, that is love. It's like I love my wife Sue. And as I love her, I'm going to be faithful to her because I want to be faithful to her. I want to make her happy. I want to do good for her. And, and so I do it because I'm motivated by love. And, of course, the Apostle Paul would say that it's the love of Christ that constrains us. And so as we are motivated by our love for him, just knowing him more, out of that love is going to come service. Out of that love is going to come obedience. Out of that love is going to a desire to draw closer to him. So love and obedience do go together. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Just remember that, if anything, tonight. That, Lord, I want to grow in my love for you. I want to draw closer to you. I want to know you. And as you do, it's going to cause you and motivate you to walk in that obedience. And so here was the, the commandment to love the Lord. And, and the words which I command you today shall be in your heart. So where's your heart with the Lord? giving your heart to the Lord and, and being honest. And that's why I always try to deal with I minister to others where their hearts are at with the Lord. Because I can tell them, do this and do this and do this. But if they don't have a heart for the Lord, they're not going to do those things. So out of the heart flows the issues of life. Out of that heart for the Lord is going to be an individual, a man or a woman, who's going to walk after the ways of the Lord. And so love him with everything that you have. And, and it shall be in your heart. That's one thing that we see that he's going to stress to them. He said it in the previous chapter. He said in chapter 5 that, oh, that in verse 29, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep my commandments. We're going to see in a few chapters that he's going to say, you guys need to circumcise your heart. That's what Jeremiah said to the nation, didn't he? He said, you guys need to turn back to the Lord. Give up those false idols and false gods, and you need to turn to me. Circumcise your heart. It's more than just the circumcision they went through, the cutting away the flesh. You need to have a circumcision in your heart, getting rid of those things in your heart that is keeping you from loving the Lord, giving your heart to other things. Give your heart to the Lord and your attention and your devotion to Him. And then you shall teach them, second of all, that we see in this text, diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. I spent some time on this. 
but I want to just reiterate it because I think it's so important for us to, again, be reminded and to understand that the Scripture clearly commands us as moms and dads, as parents, Christian parents, to raise our children in the ways of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6, that you are to raise them in the training and admonition of the Lord. We know here that you are to teach your children diligently the things of God, the Word of God. That's a responsibility as parents that we have. It's a responsibility that you as grandparents that you can have to your grandchildren as well. They would be teaching them and teach them, fill your home with the Word of God. Teach them when you're lying down, when you rise up, when you walk by the way. So our home should be ones that a great influence in our home is the things of God, the Word of God, the presence of the Lord is spoken of, the praises of God are evident in our homes. Parents, don't leave it to everybody else to raise your children in the ways of the Lord. And we will, as Calvary Chapel here with children's ministry and youth ministers that are here, we're going to come alongside and we're going to encourage you and we're going to teach them truth and we're going to help you as much as we can. But don't take that responsibility that you have and put it on somebody else. It's great to have support in that. It's great to have others that come along and will teach but you have a primary responsibility to teach your children the things of God. You see, what happens here is this generation goes into the promised land. They take the promised land, and they conquer the land, and then it would be at the end of the book of Joshua, and that's what we read about the book of Joshua. That's the next book we're going to go into. It's a wonderful book. It's a book of victory. You see, the great victory that they had, they're having victory in the Lord, they're defeating the enemies, driving out the, the inhabitants of the land, having their allotments. It seems like that everything's going well, but at the end of the book, Joshua addresses the congregation and he, he says to them, you guys need to choose this day who you're going to follow and who you're going to serve. Because already at that time, that new generation was starting to compromise, begin to gather those false idols and it was Joshua that said, you need to put them away. And they said, oh, we'll follow the Lord. And Joshua said, you choose this day. He, they weren't fooling Joshua. Choose this day whom you're going to serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And I pray that in our homes, that we are ones, that it, as people come in, they can see the presence, sense the presence of the Lord. They know that we are ones, that we are teaching our children the things of God. Let me tell you, you guys know this. The world isn't going to teach your kids truth. They're not going to get it from the world. They need to get it from us, and they need to get it from you. And so all the things, the voices that are out there in this world, pulling our children, pulling us in so many different ways, so much deception that is out there, we need to make sure that we are washing them with the water of the Word, as Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 5. We need to continually be giving them the Word of God. So that's very, very important for us to understand. And I pray for the families here. I really get concerned for our young people because we need to make sure that they're hearing truth. And, and, and in a lot of ways, they're not getting that. And I pray that here, that we be committed to that in the children's ministry, that we take it very seriously. And I just want to say thanks. That I know that there's been a few people that have signed up that, that want to help with the kids. It's been a blessing to see that. It is a priority here that we're ministering to the children, that we're ministering to our youth, to our young adults, and, and that we are ones that are giving the truth of God's Word. That's why I'm committed to going through the Scriptures. There's no better way to know truth than to be in this book, right? So to know God's Word, to be 
ones that are students of the word and then teaching that to our kids as well. So they're establishing it. Because I'll tell you this, we all know it to be true, don't we? That they're going to get older and their faith is going to be tested. And I know that from my own kids. And I have a daughter who's a senior in high school now and she's going to be graduating probably before I know it here in May. It'll be here. And I look at her and I think she's a young lady and she's growing up. She's going to be out of high school. And pretty soon she's going to make decisions for herself. She's going to be on her own someday. And, um, and all of this. And, and I want her to be established as much as she can in the truth of God's word. I want to be able to sit down and talk to her about the things of God. Choices that she makes. What God's word has to say about that as well as Luke and Rachel and David as well, because they'll be following. And I know, just as it is with all of us that we went through and gone through, and it will be with all of our children, their faith is going to be tested. It's going to be tested. And I pray that their faith is strong, and I pray that they are rooted and grounded in truth, and that they have that because you took the time to make sure that they were raised in the training and the admonition of the Lord, just as commanded. So, thirdly, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and shall be as the front length between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts and on your house and on your gates. So whenever you see pictures in Jerusalem, or really anywhere, of Orthodox Jews, they have the little boxes on their foreheads and on their hands. Um, those are phylactals that they have, and that's where the Word of God, that's where they get this, from Deuteronomy chapter 6. That's why they're wearing that. So they take that and they have their phylactals that are in their hands. They have it on their foreheads. It's the word of God that is written in those little boxes. If you go to a Jewish home, there's a little uh, mezuzah that is the little round thing with the Ten Commandments in it. If you could stay in a hotel in Israel, uh, they have a little mezuzah that's on the doorpost there of your hotel room. Um, if you go into a gate of a residence, it's always there. This is where they get that from, is here in verses 8 and 9. But it's interesting that in the last days, of course, in the tribulation period, there's one going to be risen up that's going to be a world leader. He's called the Antichrist. And it's interesting, as you go through the book of Revelation, you see that Satan, who is directly controlling the Antichrist, who's going to be supported by the false prophet. You see this false trinity that is there. It's almost like there's this, this, this duplication that you see going on of Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet concerning the things of God. Now remember that Antichrist means not just against God and against Christ, but in place of Christ. He's going to come along, the Antichrist, deceive the whole world, and he's going to come along as a Christ-like figure. He's going to make the world think that he is the answer, that he's the savior of the world's problems. That's why the world's going to turn to him. Daniel talks about it. The book of Revelation talks about it in many places in Scripture that he's going to be one that when he speaks, the world's going to marvel at what he has to say and say he speaks great things. He has the answers. He's going to be a military leader. He's going to be a religious leader. He's going to be an economic leader. And he's going to be a political leader. And in the economic leader that he is, we know that he is going to command the world to worship him. And that if you take the mark of the beast, that um, you'll be able to buy and sell. If you don't take the mark of the beast on your 
head or on your hand. Kind of this duplication here. God comes along and says, put my word between your eyes on your head and on your hands. The Antichrist is going to say, no, what I want you to do is make your allegiance to me and you're going to be marked on your head and on your hand. So you see kind of this, this it's interesting to do a little study in kind of this duplication that takes place uh, as this Antichrist is going to raise up, be raised up in the last days, this world leader. And so verse 10, so it shall be that when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant when you have eaten and are full, then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. And so what he's saying to them, when you go into the promised land and you're going to dwell in those cities that have been built, you're going to drink out of those wells that you didn't dig, you're going to eat of the vineyards that have already been planted, when you experience the blessings that, that you have from being in the land, don't forget about me. And again, it's something that he's going to repeat over and over again. Why does the Lord keep repeating it? It's interesting that Paul the Apostle, we will see in the book of Philippians, he says, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious. But for you, it's safe. It would be Peter that would say, I will not be negligent to remind you of the basic things so you be established in them. In other words, we need to be reminded, don't we? We need to be reminded over and over again. So what happened to the children of Israel when they went into the promised land in their history? They forgot about the Lord. So when you go through those books of the prophets of Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, it is the Lord calling them back saying, Don't you remember how I brought you out of Egypt? How I brought you into this promised land? How I blessed you? You've forgotten and they did forget. So the tendency can be for you and for me, when we go through periods of blessing, we can forget about the Lord. We stop depending on the Lord. We can do that individually. Everything's cool. Everything's going good. The job's going well. The business is going well. And uh, we're enjoying life. We're in a good season of our life. And what can happen is, is you very subtly you forget that every good gift comes from God, from above. And that the Lord has blessed you. And, and you forget to depend on the Lord. And so very slowly you stop praying, you stop seeking the Lord, you stop being in fellowship. Hey, everything's cool. Everything's good. We can do that as a church as well. And it's happened to churches where churches, you know, pretty soon they get big buildings and, you know, if a church grows, they need a big building. But what happens is if they're not careful... As you start depending on the budget, you start depending on the number of people that are coming, you start depending on all the giving and the facilities and all of this, and you stop depending on the Lord. When Jesus wrote that final letter in Revelation chapter 3, he wrote to the seven churches there in Proconsular Asia, chapters 2 and 3. The last church was the church of Laodicea. And it was a church that was wealthy. It was a big church. It was a city that was wealthy. And it would be Jesus that said to that church, because you say that I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. Jesus said that you are miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And so I pray for us here at Calvary Chapel. We're not a huge church. We don't have a huge facility. But the Lord is growing it. The Lord is blessing it. And I pray that we never ever lose our dependency upon the Lord. 
I want to be in that place. I want us to be in that place. Not to get sloppy, not to put our confidence in numbers or in budgets or any of those other things. But our confidence is in the Lord, right? And our dependency is upon the Lord. And we want to stay in that place. I remember when we started in the home, in our living room, and we first got a facility downtown. I remember there was days where I was praying, Lord, how are we going to pay the light bill that's due tomorrow? I'm supposed to write a check, and we don't have the money. How am I going to pay the rent next week? And, and I'd be praying, Lord, I know that where you guide, you provide. And you know what? The Lord provided. We paid our bills. Somebody would come by, knock on my door at 9.30 at night and say, you know what, we forgot to give our tithes on Sunday, we were out of town, and it was enough to be able to pay the light bill or to be able to pay the rent. That happened on a number of occasions. And I want to keep in that place where, Lord, we're just looking to you and depending upon you. I don't want to depend on numbers and budgets and, and just get comfortable. But, Lord, depend on you. And then also, not only can it happen to us individually and as a church, but as a nation as well, right? And that's why we need to pray for our nation. We like to say, God bless America. And, and, you know, we do. We want the Lord's blessing. And I love this nation. And I pray for this nation. And I pray that we do the right things in the world. And, And I pray for our leaders as we're instructed by Scripture to pray for them. But I'm very, very concerned for our nation. Because God has blessed America. And we are a blessed nation. And when you go to another nation, and you go to other places, and you go to a place, in places like I've been, in the Far East, or where I was in Sudan, southern Sudan this January, I come back and I'm very thankful for this nation. But I'm also very concerned in the direction that we're going. A nation that is saying that we don't want you, God, in our schools. We don't want you in our court rooms. We don't want you in our governments. Pushing God out more and more. We're a nation that is turning away more and more from the Lord. There's still a battle going on for this nation. And I hope that all of us, who were ones that were committed to praying for our leaders, because we're told in Scripture to do that. It's not a suggestion. It's a commandment that their eyes would be opened, that they would turn to the Lord, that there would be revival in this nation, that there would be revival in the church, because I'm also concerned about the church at large as well in this nation. All the feel-good stuff and all the prosperity gospel that is out there that isn't the gospel at all. And the diminishing of the Word of God in the churches today. So we need to be ones that are praying. Continually be independent. Lord, may we as a nation understand that you have blessed us. May we not forget about you. May we turn back to you. May we repent. And Lord, depend on you. As David would write, if some trust in horses and some in chariots, but we're going to trust in the name of the Lord our God. And we can be a nation that we can trust in our military. We have the finest military. I have great appreciation for those who are serving our nation, I pray for them. We have those in our fellowship that are serving very honorably 
very bravely. But I pray for our nation. I'm very concerned in the direction that we're going. So let's not forget about the Lord in our lives and in this church. We pray for our nation. Verse 13, You shall fear the Lord your God and serve Him and shall take oaths in His name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are all around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted Him in Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, His testimonies, His statutes, which He has commanded you. And then in verse 18, And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you, and that you may go in and possess the good land of which the Lord swore to your fathers, to cast out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has spoken. So this is how um, you are to avoid uh, apostasy in a time of prosperity. First of all, you fear Him, you love Him, you follow Him. Do not tempt the Lord your God. Of course, Jesus would use this quote in Matthew chapter 4 when Satan came and tempted Him. And he tempted him and um, took him up on the pinnacle of the temple. said, cast yourself down. And it was Jesus that quoted here from verse um, 16, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And so Massa was the place, of course, from Exodus chapter 17 where they tempted the Lord. That's what Massa means because they tempted the Lord is what the name means. They were ones that were saying the Lord is not with us. He's not going to provide water for us. And the Lord did provide water for them. And so um, here he's saying, you follow after the Lord, remember him and love him. And then verse 20, when your sons ask you in time um, to come, saying, what is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you, then you shall say to your son, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and uh, severe, against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all his household. Then he brought us out from there that he might bring us in to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. Then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all the commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Now here's a key to something as we're being told once again, keep his commandments, keep his commandments. But here's something that's another key. Love and obedience go together, right? Loving the Lord is going to lead to obedience. But here's something that's another important principle. And it says here in verse 21, when they say to your sons, that is verse 20, back it up to verse 20, when your sons ask you in time, saying, what is the meaning of these testimonies, commandments? Very important, parents, that we tell them not only what it is that they are to believe and what the truth of God's Word is and what the commandments of God's and what the principles that are there in God's Word, but also not what to believe, but why. Why should they believe it? I mean, don't kids come and say, why should I believe this? And the reason is because you've been freed from Egypt. And here they're told, as your children come to you, as you're teaching them these things, the commandments, the statutes, and all of this, they're going to ask, why should we believe it? And you tell them, because God brought you out of Egypt. He brought you to the land that he swore to your fathers. He's given you 
this land, which is a good land, that it might be well with you, that it might be good in your life, and you experience the blessings of God. So why should you obey the Lord? Why should you obey the commandments of the Lord? And our kids will come, and not only what it is that they believe, but why? Because you've been delivered from Egypt, and you've been freed, and the Lord loves you, and He desires for you to live a good life, to not be hurt by sin. And again, that, that 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, that this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. The commandments are not to be burdensome to you, not to, to harm you, not to make your life a drag. <laughs> not to, God's not trying to be a killjoy to you. But He loves you so much that he's saying, don't get involved in sin. And he wants you to have a good life. And sin is just going to bring problems and depression and despair and hopelessness. So follow after his ways. So when we talk to our children, it's not only what they believe, but why. When they do something wrong, to talk to them and say, you didn't just irritate mom and dad and being disobedient, but there's a reason why and you are disobedient to a loving Father who loves you. And so all a part of this is just dealing with their hearts and talking to them about those things. And we need to do that constantly, always. We need to do it with ourselves. We need to understand that, you know what, to follow after the Lord means that you're going to live that good life that the Lord has because His ways are good is what the Scripture says. And His ways are right. That's what it means to live in righteousness. To live rightly is what it means. To live in holiness, to live a wholesome life. A good life that the Lord has for you and for me. Because He doesn't want us to get hurt and entangled and in bondage and enslaved to all the pleasures of the world and the sins of the world. He wants us to be free. So to talk to them not only what to believe, but why. Make sure they understand in chapter 7. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, the Gershonites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, Parasites, the Hiphites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them nor show mercy to them, nor shall you make marriages with them, nor shall you give your daughters to their sons, nor take their daughters for your son, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroyed you suddenly. So further instructions given to them when they go into the promised land. Instruction that you are to drive out the enemy. Don't give your sons and your daughters over to them because they will be turned over to those other gods, those false gods. Make sure that you destroy the altars and the sacred pillars. Now, important application for us to make. That for us, Paul the Apostle says that don't make provision for the flesh. So tear down the sacred pillars and the altars and the wooded areas. And again, I've told you this before, but when you go through First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, when you read about those kings of Judah, after there was a terrible king that was involved in idol worship and they did the, the sacred pillars and the altars to the false gods and those wooded areas that they you would do worship to the false gods, and then all of a sudden a good king would come in that believed the Lord, that did right in the sight of the Lord, 
but there were times where those kings did not do away with the altars and the sacred pillars and the wooden areas, wooden areas where they would go and commit all kinds of sexual immorality and false worship and stuff. They, they left them. And it was a temptation for the people to go back to that, and that's what they did. They went back to those things. That's why the Lord is saying, get rid of it. Just do away with it. Make no provision for the flesh. Don't make any altars. Leave them there. Any sacred pillars, anything that will tempt you to go back to those things will cause you to sin, to get involved in the worldly pleasures. Don't even do it. Just get rid of it. Whatever it might be in your life, in your home, things you set before your eyes, just, just deal with it. Jesus said if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. He's not talking about mutilating your body, all right? He's talking about if you have sin, deal with it radically. Deal with it. So do away with the altars and the sacred pillars. Just have no provision for the flesh. And then also don't be unequally yoked. And so make sure that your relationships are right as well. If you're here and you're single, and make sure that you're not unequally yoked with somebody that you're dating or somebody you desire to marry. And that's the command of the Scripture because the Lord wants to bless you. The Lord wants you to have a healthy marriage. And so don't go into a mission marriage. Now, if you are married to an unbeliever, then you will remain married. That's the command of Scripture. But if you're not married, make sure that you're not unequally yoked when it comes to dating and getting serious with somebody, that you wait for the Lord to bring you that individual, that man or that woman, who's going to be strong in the things of God. Because you will then be blessed. And so here he's given these warnings in verse 6, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God, the Lord your God, has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. And the Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any other people, for you were least of all the peoples. But because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, for the hand of Pharaoh and the king of Egypt. Therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. He repays those who hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Verse 11, Therefore you shall keep the commandment, the statutes, the judgments which I command you today to observe them. We're going to stop right here. Quick comment that I'd like to make. He says that you are a holy people. I've chosen you for people for myself. You're a special people above all peoples on the face of the earth. And I didn't set my love on you or choose you because you're mighty or more in number. You're the least of the people. But he chose to love you. He's chosen you and I before the foundations of the world. Why did he choose you and I? I have no idea. I don't know why he chose me. I don't worry about the why. I just rejoice in it. But he chose me because he loves me. And I just praise God for what God's word has declared. And I'm a special treasure to you, Lord. And it would be Jesus that would say that the kingdom of heaven is like a man who found a treasure buried in the field. And he went and he gave all that he had to buy the field so he can take the treasure out. And the treasure is you and me. 
I hear that parable taught a lot of times that we're the man who gave everything up to follow after Jesus and Jesus is the treasure. I don't, <laughs> I don't think it's that way. He is a treasure, but the thing is, what Jesus is saying, he's the one that gave everything up to buy the world, to redeem the world. The field represents the world. The field in the scripture always is a picture of the world. And the treasure, special treasure, the treasure represents his people. Jesus gave up everything, went to the cross so he can redeem the world, so he can have another world? No. So he can have you, the treasure. And I think about that, that God would even love me and care about me, but he does. So never doubt the love of God. Why he chose you and I, I don't know. He says, because you're a special treasure to me. I just rejoice in that. I receive it. I come in faith to that. And Lord, thank you. Thank you for your love and your faithfulness and your goodness to me. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for this encouragement. And Lord, if anything tonight, that we would just love you. That we would just love you and out of the heart, a heart of love flows the issues of life, of just walking after you, rejoicing in you, just living that good life that you have for us, knowing that as we walk in obedience, that, Lord, that it is going to be a life of blessing. May we never forget you, Lord. And, Lord, each and every day depend on you, surrender to you fully. Father, I pray as we just worship for the next few moments that you would just touch our hearts. And if there's anything there, sacred pillars that we've had up or anything like that or feeling distant from you, Lord, that we would just confess it, just receive your goodness and your forgiveness, Lord.